Depression and anxiety, two words that are all too familiar to too many of us. And the statistics have only gotten more bleak in recent years. But what is the depressed or anxious Christian to do? Do we pray? Do we seek help? Do we take a prescription? Well, these are the questions I hope to answer on this episode of the Great Stories Podcast. I'm Charles Morris, and today we're going to talk with two Christian psychologists, Tim Sizemore and Ed Welch. Both have devoted their lives to help people struggling with issues like depression and anxiety to find true relief and hope in our Savior, Jesus Christ. If you or someone you know is suffering from one of those debilitating conditions, then you need to hear what both Dr. Sizemore and Dr. Welch have to say next. I hope this will not only be a blessing to you, but to your loved ones as well. Let's get started. All around us right now, especially this time of year, there is anxiety and there are people suffering and who are depressed. I thought it would be important today to talk with someone who works with people all the time who experience severe depression and anxiety. He's a clinical psychologist. He's an author. His name is Dr. Tim Sizemore. He's the former director at California Baptist University for their doctoral program, but right now he's working at the St. Louis Behavioral Medicine Institute. Tim, it's good to have you on the program today. Welcome back to Haven Today. Charles, thank you. It's a privilege to be with you. Well, I wanted to have you on because I wanted to have a Christian. I wanted to have a psychologist. I know some Christians get the heebie-jeebies about a Christian psychologist, but we'll, we'll, we'll allow for that, and you can allow for that too. But is it my imagination, or ha- have more people been more depressed and more anxious and maybe even had other issues over this last year than years prior. Oh, absolutely. And I think the biggest explanation for that is what's going on with COVID and kind of the side effects, I would say, of COVID. I mean, there's been the withdrawal into you know being shut down for so long and um, isolated, which goes contrary to the very beginning of Scripture when God says it's not good for man to be alone. Mm. But then we're told to be alone, mm. um, which has been very awkward and very unnatural and creates a lot of tension in itself. So I think the isolation leads to depression, but you've seen a society that is essentially godless now that is looking for some type of authority or someone to trust to help us through this. And the whole COVID thing has been so politicized, uh, either way you want to go with it, that it has created an anxiety because the appeal has been in the culture to science as if science is God. Mm-hmm. And I think that becomes the problem is that science is the authority. And I don't know if you know this, I've done some t- talking in the American Psychological Association about basically being skeptical of science, mm-hmm. that you know we learn from science and we need science and it's good, but science is not God. It isn't as authoritative as we've needed it to be in our culture. Hmm. And so it becomes whose science and not the science, which you keep hearing. And you're standing back watching this, not just as an educator, not just as a psychologist, but you have watched these trends as a follower of Jesus, haven't you? Yes. And that's what's kind of tough when you see so many Christians getting wrapped up in the public dialogue 
And the public dialogue has no place for faith. Mm. You know, we're, you know, we're, as Christians, we honor science and there's good things that come out of science. We wouldn't be doing this broadcast without science, but it isn't God. And so when we hear people wrestling with it and trying to, who do you trust and all those things, we get wrapped up in the two-dimensionality of it in a sense, us and other people, as opposed to where is God in this? Mm. And I think that becomes where the anxiety for Christians is because we hear this provocative news all the time. And it's anxious and it's contradictory, and that all creates these unpleasantries, whereas God isn't surprised by any of this. Mm. And we have someone to appeal to that's more authoritative than the science. Mm. Well, we certainly do, don't we? But I'm curious, with so many things happening all at once the last couple of years, the pandemic, worldwide protests, blizzards and floodings, massive forest fires all over the world— the economy going up and down. There are so many things that can lead us to be anxious or depressed. Do you think we might become numb to these needs? I don't know about numb. I think it becomes commonplace, but it's always unpleasant. It's like pain. You know, pain still hurts over time, even though there's (laughs) lots of iterations of it. Because so there, there is maybe I can make a distinction between pain and suffering. There's a sense to where there is pain in life. You lose loved ones who die. You lose a home to a fire. You lose some of your possessions to a flood. Uh, You lose a loved one to COVID. Those are all painful. But the suffering is when there's not a context to put that pain into. God works all things together for good. Mm -hmm. But if we get wrapped up in, but this is hard, this is painful. And I think especially for American Christians, um, we've been kind of spoiled because it's been a kind of easy road and, you know, it's been a Christian nation and all these kinds of things to where we've been surprised as now that we are seen as a problem and it's a culture that's gone away from us. And the more we think like that culture, the less we take comfort in our hope is in heaven, not here. Mm. And, and the more we get wrapped up in it, and I've been drawn back to St. Augustine and the city of God. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, the context of that was Rome would never fall, but the, you know, it had been overrun and the people were desperate. Where's God and why has God deserted us? And he said, you've confused the city of man with the city of God. Mm-hmm. You know, the United States is not the kingdom of God. And that becomes the tension, because as soon as we think it is, we feel threatened, and threatened, feeling threatened is anxiety. Mm. But the more we say the kingdom of God is not threatened by any of this, mm. then we don't feel threatened. What can a Christian do? Let's say somebody's listening to us who is a Christian. They are anxious, or maybe their family's divided. You're a psychologist. You're supposed to have answers. You're also my brother in the Lord. Dr. Sizemore, give us some help here. What are we to do? Well, there's some psychological literature to back up what I'm going to say, but I'm going to speak in Christian terminology to do that. One of the problems with a lot of these things is we equate God's blessing with temporal well-being. Okay. And that's because I think a lot of times we haven't read all of the Scripture. 
I've just been going through some old Puritan sermons on uh, Philippians 3. Mm-hmm. And Paul actually prays to share in the sufferings of Christ. And that doesn't sound like most of us. You know, Lord, I'd like to suffer. I don't want that. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Because we see pleasure as the goal. Mm. But then if if you say, would you give up a kidney for your wife? Of course we would, because it's for a good cause. And if this is how God is to be glorified, and you know, one of the wonderful things I think that's going to come out of this is America is going to be better able to tell who the real Christians are hmm. because the, the kind of semi-part-time, every once in a while, just give me a little Jesus kind of Christians aren't really going to make it because as we suffer, it has to be because we are committed to a cause. We're recording this during the Olympics. And... You talk about all these people who've worked so hard to receive that prize. They've suffered so much. You know, they could have gone out with their friends and ate pizza and, and you know, stuff and not suffered as much, but they wouldn't have a gold medal at the end of the day. Hmm. And we press on toward our prize. Paul loves to use uh, metaphors that, out of sports. And it's like, this is our training. This is our discipline to be stronger as Christians, to trust God in, in suffering and adversity, it's much more glorifying to God for me to hold on to my faith and be strong and trust in him in adversity than it is when everything's rolling along just fine. Mm. Well, if I'm feeling trapped right now, maybe nothing to do with COVID, if I were to say, Dr. Sizemore, Three simple steps, five simple steps. What can I do about this anxiety that I've got or this depression that I'm going through? And I know one size doesn't fit all. Mm -hmm. But talk to me as a brother. Anxiety comes from a sense of feeling threat. Okay. In the Bible, there's a different word for anxiety than for fear in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. Right. Fear is an imminent danger. Mm -hmm. Like if. I see a rattlesnake at my feet. Anxiety, marimna, I can't say Greek very well, but that's the word, is the uh, be anxious for nothing language of Scripture. Mm-hmm. And that is coming up with a threat in our head that isn't really there. Mm. So sure, if, if your house is being flooded, you should be afraid and take action to get out of there, right? That's a normal thing. But as Christians... The marimna, the the worrying, to use probably the best single way of explaining that, is where the problem comes. Because then we're saying, wait, this may not work out. What's going to happen? And I think the answer is there. This sounds simplistic, but it takes a while to develop it. That's why I'm not being very helpful to give you three easy steps. (laughs) That's right. I forgive you for that. Thank you. Thank you. I'll I'll deal with forgiveness. (laughs) I I, I often use this illustration, which is is very meaningful to me. When I was a kid, about 10 years old, I was with my parents. I was just, my parents and me were in the car and we were in a different city because my dad had gone for a job interview and we were out at night in the dark and it was pouring rain and we were lost. Mm. And I remember sitting in the back seat of the car and thinking about how cozy is this? All this mess around us and I'm here dry and safe. 
And the secret to me doing that, which I wouldn't be doing now if I were driving, <laughs> but I knew my dad was driving that car. Hmm. And whatever the dangers were that were all around us, I was safe as long as my dad was driving that car. Mm, mm. And I think that's what we lose as Christians is we forget who's driving the car. We get to looking at the storm and not at who's driving. And I think that is the key. So if anything, is look to the driver, not to the storm. Mm. And the storm, we, have, we are in a big storm culturally and in medically and all kinds of things. But the driver is still the same for a Christian, right? And I think that's, the other thing is, I mean, there is uncertainty. And so another thing is not to try to remove uncertainty, but to learn to live with uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Because there is an ultimate certainty. God will bring us home safely, but he hasn't given us the play-by-play on how he's going to do it. it it's kind of like the Apostle Paul, you know, you will have trouble <laughs> right. in this Christian life. Not maybe. No buts about it. You will have trouble. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's the thing because we, many of us confuse comfort and ease with God's blessing. Mm. And I don't think they're the same thing. Good you know, point. it's like Paul when he was headed to Jerusalem. Everybody kept saying, you know, bad things are going to happen in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. He said, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to Jerusalem. And I think that is such, so key is because you know, as Christians, we're supposed to suffer. And I think one of the reasons Christianity in America is anemic is because we haven't suffered. Mm -hmm. And that points us to, again, the driver. Mm. So I think we have to accept that there's going to be hardship instead of how do I get out of it? And worry is trying to solve a problem that isn't there. (laughs) Right? You know, again, if there's a rattlesnake, I can solve that problem. I can get away from it. Yes. Right? But um, I can't get away from COVID anywhere in the world, apparently. I don't know if I've heard any cases in Antarctica, but that's a whole different set of problems. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, you're right. That's what I needed to hear. And I think that's what we all needed to hear. Dr. Tim Sizemore, would, would you mind blessing us by leading us in prayer right now? I'd be happy to. Dear Father, we thank you that you are still driving everything around us. And as we get caught up in the anxieties around us in a world that doesn't have a driver anymore, that tries to make imprecise and contradictory science the driver or a certain political position a driver, it just doesn't work. And so we ask you would give us eyes to see you, to see that you are in control and that you are watching over us. And even if we suffer, it's for our own good and for your glory. And Father, we know when you gave your Sermon on the Mount and you talked about being not being anxious, you completed that by saying, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And we just ask that we would get our eyes more on your kingdom and less on the world of man. Yes. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Dr. Tim Sizemore, a Christian who is a psychologist, Thank you for being with me here on Haven today. I've been honored. Haven today, as we're, well, in a way, because Labor Day was yesterday, we're starting a new week today. And this is a program called Running Scared. And we're going to Philadelphia 
we're going to the Christian Counseling and Education Foundation, and we're going to the office of Dr. Ed Welch. He's a psychologist, but he's also a brother in the Lord. And he's written a book called Running Scared, Fear, Worry, and the God of Rest. Ed, welcome back to the program. I really like the subtitle of this new book. Now, you've been counseling people for, well, I think at least 25 years, and yet you don't mind talking about your own dealings with fear. Would you do that with us? As long as you're not horribly embarrassing. So, so there are there are limits, Charles. <laughs> right. And my wife Janet and your wife Sherry know about this and understand this better than anyone else. So you and I have both passed 60 now. Hmm. We've got a lot of listeners that are in that situation now. But we also have younger listeners that are facing death. You told me some time back that death had been on your mind. For a period of time, why? Well, I'll give you the the longer version first. I, I I speak to more and more men about fear these days, and I mm. women have always been great in talking about fear. They they're able to be open about it. They can yes. identify it. But men, it tends to be anger. That fear comes out as anger because we're getting older, or. What? I, th- I think for men, it, it comes out in all kinds of different ways. It can be anger against the dog, but, but when you dig around, there are certain kinds of fears, and, yes. and Scripture anticipates this. So many of our fears just, just aim right at, ultimately, this, this fear of death. And mm-hmm. I think I've wrestled with this a number of different ways. I've had different phases in my concerns about death. For example, one phase was... Okay, I'm going to die, and, and here's the problem. I will see Jesus face to face, and, and, and after that initial judgment seat, I think that will be fine. But that, however long that judgment time is, that's not going to be fine, because I know enough about my own sins to know that it's not going to be pretty. Mm. And so I think there was, there was a period of time where, where I, I wrestled with the thought of seeing Jesus face to face initially was going to be, I was... I was the one in the line where Jesus said, well, he was saying, well done to the people after me and before me. But to me, he said, well, you made it by the skin of your teeth and you made it by technicality because you're with Jesus. Hmm. So I think that was, that was probably an initial version of that. And I might as well just, while we're on that part of death, I might as well just say a little bit more. Where did it go? I, I think ultimately, as is I began to realize, no, this is not true. This is, this is not the way it will be when I see Christ face to face. I think it was going through the New Testament and seeing the character of Jesus and seeing that his people were the riffraff. They were the people who felt like they were on the outs. And, and I became so persuaded of the love of Christ for people on the outs that I said, well, I, that's, that's me. I feel like I'm on the outs. I feel like I see my failures acutely. And, and in my sins, I can always identify various sins that I'm wrestling with. But to see Jesus' concern for, for those who are ultimately people who are shamed and people who, who just don't fit in, I think seeing that over and over again, it, it, became, it became liberating. And the and now that's one feature of the fear of death that I think is, is not quite as loud as it once was, and I'm very thankful. Ed, what do you say to this? I was with someone the other day who has cancer, probably about to die from this cancer, 
and their life is just one medical appointment after another, one round of chemo, another round of radiation or whatever. He knows he's going to die. He knows he's in the Lord, and yet he has fears. Of course, who wouldn't? What would you say to someone like that? How do you minister? Because I know we have people listening right now that are in that situation. What do you say? My, my first thought is, I would say, I would ask, brother, how can I pray for you? How can mm. I pray for you? Mm. And, 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 and there's two parts to that question. One is, I, I want to know the person so I know how to pray for him. The, the other is that, that that simple question, so much of fear is, is we see the threats around us, but we don't see Christ. And uh, that simple question, how can I pray for you? All of a sudden it reminds the person who's in the fear that they do live in this world where the Lord reigns. And it's just, yeah, it's just a very, very simple question. So I think that's, that's, where I would, that's where I would go first. I would simply ask, how can I pray for you? And if the person said, I don't have a clue how you can pray for me, then just say, well, let's, let's pray. Because the, the challenge, I think, with fear is the Lord is so concerned and interested in us, in our fears, that there's, there's just so much that he says to us. And among all the wonderful things that he says, which is the one we want to pray for first? That's, that's the challenge. And of course, the, the, the heart of it is there is forgiveness of sins, so now nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. He is the one, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. That's the promise that we're aiming for as we pray for each other in our fears. You know, Ed, in your book, Running, Scared, Fear, Worry, and the God of Rest, you point out this command, this command to not be afraid. It's in the Old Testament, but of course, Jesus says this too over and over again, didn't he? I guess we lose sight of that, don't we? That Jesus is near and we don't have to be afraid. Well, you know, that's, we can say a lot about that one, Charles. The first thing I think we need to establish is that they are in the command form. Don't be afraid. This sort of has that stop it feel to it. And occasionally in the Old Testament, there really is a stop it. Do not be afraid. When, when, when the Lord said to the people, do not be afraid, as they were right on the cusp of the promised land, that was their fear was disobedience against God because they were saying, no, there are giants in the land and we are not going in there. So in that case, fear was a sin. But, but through the vast majority of Scripture, there's two ways to say don't be afraid. One is stop it. But the, the vast majority of occasions in Scripture, it's, it's similar to a parent saying to a child, be careful, be careful. Uh, it's that, that, that's technically a command, but it's 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 a father saying, "I love you, I love you." Uh, so since I love you, I don't want you to be afraid. And what I'm hearing you say is that our fear is not always caused by our sin. Let's say it this way. We'll round off the edges just a little tiny bit, and and say that when scripture scripture assumes that we are mere human beings, and, and life is a fearful, fearful thing, and we can't control any of it. And God has great compassion on people who are afraid, and he says so many beautiful things to people who are afraid. So don't be afraid is really an invitation where the Lord is saying, let me talk to you. Okay, let me talk to you about 
reasons why you can move from fear and move to rest. If you just joined us mid-program, you're listening to Haven Today. We're calling this program Running Scared. That's the title of a new book by our special guest, Dr. Ed Welch with the Christian Counseling and Education Foundation in Pennsylvania. Ed, you have been quoting different passages from both the Old and the New Testaments uh, relating to fear, and they tell us not to be afraid. Is there maybe one passage that really stands out in your mind that you could share with us that we could then meditate on? Let me, let me just say two things. Psalm 46 is, is a great passage on fear. I won't quote the whole thing. But, but what I get from Psalm 46 is, is a God who says, don't just mull over your fears, speak about your fears. And, and I, thought, I thought I mastered that a number of years ago. But I think one of the things I found with my own fears is that simply saying things like, okay, here I am. I feel like I'm going to die, and I don't really want to die yet. <laughs> and, and I feel bad about saying that. I feel like I should say I'm, I'm going to be delighted to die. Oh, I am a mess. Lord, help me. Just to be able to speak honestly from our hearts. You can find that in any psalm, but Psalm 46 would be, would be one example of that. Another passage, casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. That's, that's like one of the most beautiful passages around. And so I think about it, and so I, I identify my fears, I cast them on Jesus, and somehow they always come boomeranging back on me, and they never, like, they, they're sticky, you know, I can't get rid of them. And, and I, think, I think what I've appreciated in that passage is, is the beginning of the verse is really, humble yourself before the Lord. Humble yourself before the Lord. And Peter is essentially, this is First Peter chapter 5, and Peter is essentially saying one of the ways you'll do that is you will speak of your fears to the God who hears. But it's an expression of going, walking humbly before our God. And that has, been, that has been a great gift to me, to simply say in the midst of my fears, you are God. You are God, and, and your job is not to make my life easier. You're, I, want to, I want to know that you are God and I am not. And I humble myself before you, and, and I know that you are good in the gospel of Christ. And, and I will trust in your goodness rather than trusting in everything's going to go the way I hope it goes. So it's that the casting your cares upon the Lord, I've never been very good at that, except I'm learning how to speak my fears better. It's the humbling ourselves before the Lord, which simply is you are God. That has been, that's been a big, great gift to me recently. That really speaks to how we should pray, doesn't it? We don't think of prayer as standing before the Lord, although that certainly was a biblical way to pray. Not that you couldn't pray on your knees, but standing before the Lord, speaking before the Lord, letting it out in front of Him. We don't do enough of that, do we? I think the, the things that you find throughout the world in speaking to kings, we do have that available in Scripture. When you speak to a king, you say, oh, king, you are the greatest, and your, your reign is supreme, and all and all, those kinds of things. And you say the different kings' names. But to be able to, to say who we're humbling ourselves to, you are your God. And, and you alluded to the, the passage with Jesus saying, be quiet before the, before the waves. And you are the God who, with a word, all creation is quiet before you. You're a God who, with a word, you, 
you draw all the nations, all the warring nations, you draw them to yourself to pronounce judgment. You are God over all. You're not, you're not simply a little local God. You are the God who is over all. Therefore, I humble myself before you <laughs> and, and submit myself to your will, which I happen to know is really, really good. <laughs> so, that's the longer version of humble yourself before the Lord. We, you know, we, we know who the king is, and, and then we, we speak openly to the king about our requests. And hmm. our time together has gone so quickly. Would you mind just leading us in a word of prayer? Father, would you open our eyes? We are people who, who see the threats around us more clearly than we hear your voice and we see you. Would you grant us the opportunity to see you are the God who, according to Psalm 121, you are the one who is so close that we live in your shadow. Lord, open our eyes, help us to see such things, that if we really knew that the God of all creation, who loves us, who is our Father, who is our Abba, if we truly could see those things, how different life would be. Open our eyes and allow us to see that you are the God who is close. In the name of Christ, amen. Amen. Dr. Ed Welch, thank you for being with us from your office in Philadelphia at the Christian Counseling and Education Foundation. Thank you, Charles. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of Great Stories with Charles Morris. I also want to thank Dr. Zed Welch and Tim Sizemore for giving practical, hope-filled advice and anecdotes for people struggling with depression and anxiety. If you're facing a particularly bleak midwinter, I also want to encourage you to visit haventoday.org, where we have some resources for people experiencing dark times. If you want to hear more conversations like this, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, please help us get the word out by leaving a five-star review. You can also visit haventoday.org to sign up for our weekly email and discover additional episodes posted on the blog. And as always, thank you for joining me once again on Great Stories with Charles Morris. Charles Morris.